Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, good gardening and welcome. We'll be stopping by. No, thanks for stopping by. And we'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments about your outdoors or your indoor plants, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We get together on Saturday and we discuss your yard, landscape, your garden, your house plants, the versus, let's say each other, potting soil versus potting mix. You know which one I prefer. It's the potting mix. How to improve your soils. What about pruning? What about bugs? What about diseases? And all those kind of things. Remember, my words are strictly to open opportunities. After that, it's going to take work on your part, both physical and mental. And this is a marathon, and that's a great part of the gardening world. This is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here. And thanks to Greg. Again, he's here producing. I thought maybe he would finally get bored with gardening and say, put me on some other time frame. But anyway, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations. And also, I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine, which comes out six times a year. And I was so devastated. I've been doing it for a while, but my article is the last page in that magazine. I (laughs) I guess I'm right on the edge of being just pushed off. But anyway, during the week, I do landscape consulting. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. I headed from our home east on Bates to the word Bates Dead Ends. And sitting on the hillside ahead was silhouettes of conifers and deciduous trees highlighted by the very early morning sunrise. I mean, what the sun wasn't up quite yet, but it was really making the trees look spectacular. And what better place to watch the sun awakening than Bell Reef Park, which is Bell Reef Park sits on top of the bluffs. And there's benches all along the walkway there that offer not only views of the naturalized vegetation on the bluffs, and the park's setting, but just uh, you know, a striking look north and south of the Mississippi River. River islands and the Illinois Bluffs across. Barges were parked in the mid-river. And tugboats, one heading south, one heading north. They didn't have any problem passing each other whatsoever. There's a picnic table there, and it's chained down. So I guess that prevents people from moving the picnic table around and around and around. But anyway, there's a sign that reminds you the park is closed from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. So I was there probably 6.15, so I didn't break any laws or anything. There's a train whistle from the tracks below, which is really kind of neat. There's a massive oak tree there as well whose root system stabilizing, 
and keeps the huge tree from falling over. There's maples, there's ginkgos, there's sycamores, among others. There's a sweet gum tree. <laughs> the sweet gum tree is pretty near the playground area. So I guess that gives the kids an opportunity if they want to sort of rollerblade or sweet gum blade down the hill on the sweet gum balls. They get that opportunity if they get bored with the typical classic playground stuff. And um, that's on the south hillside. And a two-sided sign, which is stamped. I don't know how old this sign is, but it's pretty darn old. It's stamped metal sign and explains about the area known as Carondelet, and which was actually named. It had that area had a different name. I didn't write it down, but the word Carondelet or the name Carondelet was named for a Spanish governor general in nine in seventeen ninety five. And there's you know this is a two sided sign, so there's all kinds of information there, and. Um, Regarding the landscape, as you go further down the hill a little bit, there's a stormwater intake, and then there's a milkweed planting area, and it's basically St. Louis Butterfly Project. So it's quite the, you know, they changed that whole end of the park, the south end of the park. There's a walkway, there's a stairway, and it's really kind of neat circumstance. And also, the birds were all over the place singing and jumping and bouncing and looking for something to eat, and the... F- f- the time I was there, it didn't seem like it was very long, but the sun was fully up above the horizon by then. So it was just really kind of a neat look. And just as you look to the east, you see the sun coming up. As you look to the west, you see the full moon just heading. I guess it's sinking, actually. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. If you have any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you take a walk out in your lawn and you see some really small blue flowers, I mean really small, they're they're smaller than actually a pencil eraser in diameter, and they carpet the ground. This is a type of speedwell. This is... You know, Veronica, which is a Speedwell group, uh, these are annual weeds that, you know, they started germinating, like I say, you know, in late summer, early, you know, early fall, and they're cool season weeds, so they are just prolific now as far as the amount of flowers they have on them, and so they're dropping seeds rampantly. So if you see all these small blue flowers in your lawn or on your beds or anything else, that's the Speedwell, that's an annual weed. You know, post-emergent control with an herbicide, you can do that if you want to. But best thing to do is just wait till next year in August and put the pre-emergence down. So let's go to Dan. He's going to be our first caller today, and he lives in Oakville. Hi, Dan. Hey, it's a beautiful day, Mike. Good morning. Yes, it is. Got an easy one for you for your first one. Got some knockouts that uh, I put in a few years ago, and I haven't touched them like you've always said but I want to start trimming some of those back. They're getting pretty wild right? with some other uh, bushes. Hey, when can I start doing that? Basically, you can do it now. Do it. Make sure you start doing it before the new growth begins. Now, okay. if some of the other shrubs are spring-flowering shrubs, which are, the roses are kind of very late spring, early summer bloomers, usually around Memorial Day is when the first, let's say, flush of roses is going to happen. But any of the spring flowering shrubs, you can you probably should wait until after they flower if you want to get the maximum amount of flower enjoyment out of them. But you don't have to. And then any of the summer bloomers, 
Just get those done before the new growth begins. Perfect. Hey, thanks a lot. Have a great day. Yeah, you do the very same thing. Yeah, it is a great day. I mean, it was so nice to see the sun out and everything else for a couple days in a row. Ed lives in South St. Louis. Hi, Ed. How are you today? Hi, Mike. I want you to help put my mind at ease. I put a bunch of bulbs in some flower pots last fall, daffodils, tulips, crocuses, and nothing is coming up yet, but the same bulbs are coming up in my raised flower beds already. Did I do something wrong? Probably not. It just may be the exposure where the pots are sitting or other things. I've got some bulbs that are in the ground that are like near my garage along my driveway, and probably the foliage on these daffodils may be four inches high. Now, I also have daffodil bulbs in several different pots in different exposures, and they are not showing any growth at all. So the only thing, hopefully, which this didn't happen a few years ago, what happened is we had a severe cold snap, and some of the bulbs got actually frozen in the pots. Now, I'm not saying that's what happened, but that's you know certainly a possibility in the worst circumstance. But I think it's just a matter of time and everything else because above ground, the soil stays a little cooler, which you wouldn't think that would be the case, than in the ground. So I wouldn't worry too much. So they just on a different timetable. Right, exactly. Hey, Mike, also, for um, like later on this year, I got some plants on order from one of my catalogs. Can I safely plant some perennials in those pots also, besides you know the tulips and the daffodils? It depends upon what type of perennial. Some perennials do well in pots, other ones don't. So you could certainly give them a try. I mean, what about milkweed, Mike? Uh, in a pot, I'm not sure. I've never really grown milkweed in a pot, so I can't tell you from personal experience. And I honestly have not seen milkweed growing in pots. That's not to say it won't happen or can't happen. But you may be the first person that can say, "I've grown milkweed in pots." So here we go, and that could wow. you could start a new trend. I if it works, I'll tell you next year. Sounds perfect. Thank you for your time. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. Let's go now to stay in St. Louis and go to Neil. Neil, how are you? Man, I'm real good. I really enjoy your program. Great. Well, thanks. I uh, I believe I may have talked to you last year or year before last. I have problems. I have three peach trees. Two of them is like eight, uh, six years old, and the oldest one is like. 12 years old. They grow beautiful peaches, but I have worms in them, so all I need to know, how do I, uh, uh, who do I need to call to eliminate worms? And because right now, with these warm days that we have had, they create, they ready to sprout. I want to know how I eliminate the worms in the tree. Now, are these full pe- full-size peaches and everything, so everything's good except the fact there's worms in them? Yes. I would say, has any new growth started on your peaches yet? No, what do you mean new growth? This is not, it ain't blooming yet. No, no okay, I'm not talking. Any of the buds starting to open or anything else, I would go and get a dormant oil spray and spray all the branches of your peach trees with this dormant oil spray. Because my fear dormant, is that, pardon me? Dorm, dormant, D-O-R-M-A-N-T, dormant. Uh, D-O-R, hold on, I ain't but 85, so I, I ain't catching you that quick. So I, <laughs> it, all right, Mark, I love you. How you spell that all? Okay, D-O-R-M-A-N-T. it's D-O-R, 
M E R M A N T N T. Oh, and dormant oil. Right. Dormant oil. You go to your favorite garden center, they'll have it. Spray it on your trees because what that does is suffocate any kind of insect eggs or any kind of larvae or anything at all on the branches of your trees. So that's what I would probably do. Do I do that? Do I do that now? Do that right now. Go out and get in right now. Yes. That sounds good, man. That's all. Thank you very much. All right. Good luck with that, Neil. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, dormant oil is something that more people should use. Now, I'm not saying that's going to specifically take care of this problem, but at least that's the start of the whole thing. So that would be my advice. Florence lives in Troy, Missouri. Florence, how are you? I'm just fine. How does this sunshine look to you? It looks perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Mike, I talked to you before. Uh, Someone gave me a Norfolk pine for Christmas, and it's it's growing beautifully, and you told me just leave it in the pot, but there are about four plants in the little four or five inch pot. Is that going to be a problem? Um, probably right now, I'm assuming if there's four or five, you know, t- trees, Norfolk Island pines coming out of one little pot, they got to be really part- pretty small. So, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I would say just leave them in that pot for at least, you know, another year or so. Okay. It won't get too root bound or something like well, that. Well, house plants always, and tropical plants always do better when they're pot bound rather than when they're in a pot that's too big. They like it to be, you know, kind of, let's say, tight. So that I wouldn't worry too much about it. Now, ultimately, what's going to happen is you're going to have to tease the root systems apart. Or what you can just do is... Pull them all four out of this pot that they're in when you decide it's time to, you know, put them in a bigger pot. Now, the pot that size you're going to go to is only one to two inches bigger than the existing pot. And then you're going to use potting mix as well and just pull them right out of the existing pot, shake as much of the potting mix off the existing potting mix, and then put them down into the new pot with the potting mix. Just put all four of them in. Just leave them all together. Don't try to tease them apart and do all that crazy stuff. Okay. Uh, The person that gave me this has a four-foot Norfolk pine in her yard where she planted. But she she raises chickens and horses, which might add to her success in getting one to grow in our country. Well, to be honest with you, they are not hardy. If she's got, she must live south someplace. No, she lives just by Troy. Hmm. I'd be real interested to see. Have her take a picture of that and send it to me. Okay. I'll, I'll, I will Because <laughs> Norfolk that. Island pine is not a hardy type tree. So it must be some kind of magic that she's, it's not just the manures, it's some other yeah. magic. Yeah. And, and then I have a tip for today. Okay. My, my grandmother always taught, my mother, and both of them were avid plant growers, Never, uh, no flower likes cold feet. In other words, don't water them with real cold water. Right. As far as houseplants outside, you have no choice because you're using water coming out of a faucet. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I agree with you. Thank you yeah. very much. You're welcome. Great. Have a good day. You too, Florence. Thanks a lot. And I'll be, I'm waiting to see that Norfolk Island pine growing outside. All righty. <laughs> Thanks. And now let's go to Florissant, and that's where Sam lives. Hi, Sam. Good morning. How are you, sir? Good. 
good. I wanted, I've always wanted to ask this question. I'm getting ready to put down some crabgrass preventer with fertilizer, like the Scott's Halts. Mm-hmm. And I've always wanted to ask you, does it make a difference who the product comes from if the numbers of, of a hydrogen, I'm sorry, phosphorus, nitrogen, and potassium are the same numbers no matter whose label it's on? Basically, now if you're, you know, if you're into organic products, it can make a little bit of difference. But if it's, you know, if you're not really that concerned, the numbers are the numbers, and it should be exact regardless of who makes it. Okay, because I've seen that Scotts this year, it's like seventy dollars for a fifteen thousand square foot bag, and that's an awful lot. I need three of them for my lawn. Mm-hmm. But just wanted to just wanted to check if the numbers are the same no matter who. Then just you're just saying basically go for the cheaper price, right? If you want to, it's you know sometimes the fillers and other things like that is is going to be you know it's going to add some, you know certain elements that are not needed or something along that line. So in other words, the you know the the numbers whether it's nitrogen, phosphorus, or potassium, those numbers equal the percentage in that bag of that particular nutrient. Okay, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Speaking of comments, last week... I misunderstood what a caller was asking me about as far as a wildflower that was coming up in her yard. I think she lived in Webster. But a lady called that lives in O'Fallon. She said, you cannot use this plant, blah, blah, blah. It's fallopia is the one you cannot use. F-A-L, let's see, O-O-P-I-A. I think maybe there's two L's. Fallopia is a very invasive, very nasty weed. That's what the lady in O'Fallon was calling to tell, don't use that. It's the common name is Japanese knotweed. The plant that the lady called and asked me about, I misunderstood what she was saying apparently. Because if you can, I don't even know if you can buy the fallopia, but it is a very, very nasty weed. If you see it and very invasive, if you see it for sale, stay away from it. It just, you don't want to get involved with fallopia Japanese knotweed. So last week, I, you know, thanks to the lady who called from O'Fallon to get me back on the correct track. Bob lives in Arnold. Bob, how are you today? Hello, how are you, Mike? Very good. I've got a couple of questions. Okay. i got some irises. I want to do some landscaping around it. Can I have too early to transplant a few of the bulbs? Uh, you're talking about just regular iris, the tuberous iris, the ones, you know, the plants called flags? Yeah. And, and they've bloomed in the past, correct? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, di- you know, dig up the tubers as soon as you can and get them relocated as soon as you possibly can. But I can do that when the weather's nice. Yeah. I want to do some landscaping around them. I just want to move them over. Right. No, yeah. you should be fine because the tubers or the slash roots slash bulbs are for sale at garden centers right now. That means that you could do the same thing yourself. Okay. Okay. And one more question. I got some daylilies coming. They're about two to three inches tall. Is that normal? Yeah. I mean, I've seen several different areas that I know where the daylilies grow. I've seen even some in pots that are popping up out of the, you know, out of the pots and also some in the ground. So, yeah, this should be happening. It seems a little bit premature, but that shows you how the weather's been, you know, kind of the ground is really getting warmer and warmer and warmer. Yeah. And I got some LIRPs or whatever you want to call them. Can I cut the, start cutting the dead off of them? Oh, Absolutely. You know, and you don't have to be, I don't know if you have the spreading type, you know, monkey grass liriope, or you have the clump type. If you set your mower high, you can just run your mower over them if you want to, or you can cut them by hand. 
Uh, I have to my hand. I can't run more over. Okay. All righty, Mike. And how about, can I throw grass seed yet? Uh, it's a little premature. You know, I'm just worried about the grass seed. You could try it, but uh, you put it down, and we have some harsh rains and everything else before it germinates, and it could be whew, gone. I mean, you it could be. down the street. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, Mike. So I can clip them back in there. It won't hurt those uh, day lilies if I clip them back and get the dead off of them. And yeah, any, anything that's dead now that was from the previous year, cut that off, get rid of it, because it could be a circumstance for harboring insects, harboring you know p- potential bacterias or who knows what. So, yeah, get rid of all that debris. All righty. Thank you very much, Mike. Certainly. And now let's go to Nancy, and Nancy's in Melville. Hi, Nancy. Hi, uh, Mike. I have a couple questions. Um, I have a, and I don't know what the official name is, but I think for people like me, we call them Corabelle. Is that something that can be cut back now, or we don't cut those back? Well, the, the any of the brown foliage on the coral bells, the hookahs, you know, I've got a couple. I've probably got four or five different one varieties growing underneath the mugo pine that I have, and I just pulled the you know the leaves off the top of them and the mulch. And anything that's brown, you can cut those off. But they should be pushing out some new growth right now. Don't cut that off. Okay. And um, the other question is, I have a clematis, and I, I let it go and die off like last year. So when do I trim that, and how far down? Which one, is when does that variety bloom? Does it bloom in like late May, or does it bloom uh, in midsummer? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Get rid of that plant. You don't even like it. <laughs> so i mean if it's a sweet autumn clematis yes but uh yeah go ahead and prune it you know and i don't know how long they are but you know if you cut them back i wouldn't cut them back more than 50 percent. okay and one more question when because i like to start my vegetable seeds i like to, i don't like to buy starters i like to do it myself so okay when is a good time to start doing it in the house if you yeah, if you have grow lights and everything else, you're going to be able to have get it. You know, get them started ASAP. Okay, I don't have grow lights. So. Oh, so well, if you if you've sprouted seeds inside in windows and you've had good luck with it in the past, that's great. But uh, you know, so yeah, this is a time when you really want to get going with that. Uh, okay. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Yeah, you do the very same thing. And now let's go to Labadee, and that's where Jim lives. Hi, Jim. Hi. Um, thanks for taking my call, Mike. Uh, I've got two issues. Uh, one, could you recommend some grape varieties uh, for eating that are resistant to black rot? I've had I've been plagued with that. Boy, I'll tell you, grape. You know, grapes are tough. I would say, you know, just have your you know your soil tested and everything else because it's related to your soil as much as anything. I don't know if there's really all that many really good grapes that grow in this area that can be harvested for eating. Okay. I just don't think there really are, and I think that might be what the problem is. But find out what's going on with your soil. That may give an indication of what what the potential problem is. But when you see the grapes, I don't see any grapes that are locally grown. You know, And maybe I need to go to more farmer's markets and stuff like that, but I don't see that many. Okay. Um how do sweet potatoes do in this area? They should do fine. Okay. And, I mean, the ornamental sweet potatoes do fantastic. So my assumption is I haven't grown sweet potatoes in and of themselves, but I've grown, you know, the ornamental sweet potato vines, and they get right. huge as far as a sweet potato at the end of the season. 
Yeah, I've done that, and I was wanting to try, you know, actual sweet potatoes. Uh, I think potatoes this year. Yeah, I think they should do the very same thing. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Yep. Good luck with that. And now let's go to Gretchen, and she lives in Afton. Hi, Gretchen. Hi. Uh, I have a sweet alyssum, and I had it in a pot on the front porch. I put it back on the outdoor patio over winter. Last week you said it receives itself. Can will it receive itself in a pot? Yeah, as long as it, you know, as long as there was flowers up above the pot, and not just flowers cascading over the sides, the seed should drop right back into the pot. So you shouldn't have any problems. The only thing, you know, that may have happened is if it got too dry or this or that or whatever happened, you know, weather-wise, that may sort of stymie it. But the seed should be there. So just, you know, if it's really dry right now, just go ahead and water it and then just watch for the new growth. Should I cut all the old growth off oh, or yeah. just leave it? Yeah, okay. you, you could cut it off. And just, you know, maybe hold it over the pot and shake it after you cut it off and see if you oh. might drop some other seeds in there. Okay, well, thank you, Mike. Certainly. And Bye now man. let's go to Chuck and Chuck's in Shiloh. Hi, Chuck. Hey, Mike. Good morning. How are you, sir? Very good. How are you? Hey, Mike, I've got uh, daffodil bulbs coming out of the ground. They, are, they have uh, been overcome, overgrown by some, some evergreen ewes. Uh, can I, I, I know a guy just called about it, but can I dig up the daffodil bulbs and move them in it now? Uh, if you do that, you're going to totally interrupt any kind of flowering potential for this year. So I would just keep an eye on them. And then, you know, later on when the foliage gets about half brown, just dig them up at that time and don't replant them necessarily right then unless you really want to. You know where you're going to move them to. Or you can just dig them up, put them in a paper bag and hold them and then plant them next fall. Okay, Mike, how about if I actually, it's about a, a square foot of, of daffodil bulbs that are, that are coming out of the ground. Mm-hmm. What, if I take the, the, what if I take the entire soil mass up and move it? Uh, as far as, as long as you don't just, you know, as long as you don't disrupt the root system whatsoever, they may flower, but my guess is they're not going to. Okay, all right, super. Thanks, Mike. Yep. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And, uh, you know, I talked about the uh, Persian Speedwell or the Veronica, which is a really flat-growing plant that's blooming right now so it's dropping seeds right now but there's other cool season annual weeds and uh henbit is one dead nettles another they're both in the lamium family or lamium group and they're that's they're mint family members so what that is is if you reach down you feel the stem of a plant and the stem feels square then that's in the mint family and more than likely that you have henbit or dead nettle unless you've got you know mint growing the common chickweed is going to be out there, and uh, every week for the last couple of weeks I've been saying, you know, it really got some scorched due to the winter time, but it's recovering. I haven't seen any flowers on the chickweed yet, but I'm watching it constantly. Chickweed flowers are really relatively small again, and they're white. Uh, annual bluegrass, I've got some annual bluegrass still, you know, coming up in my zoysia grass, so 
I'm just, you know, taking a different approach than what I tell people to do with the pre-emergence and everything else. I just, you know, I kind of want to watch things kind of closely. So with the annual bluegrass, it's in kind of smallish clumps, even though bluegrass you think of not a clump grower. And I just hand dig it. And then there's a couple other things. There's a rabbit's foot clover and shepherd's purse. Both those, I have not seen those, you know, actively in my yard or other places where I walk. So when I walk, you know, down to Snooks at, uh, you know, Gravois and Hampton, or, or wherever I happen to walk, I'm always constantly just checking out various things, looking for weeds or looking for what's, what's happening. I haven't seen either one of those yet, so I don't know why. They might still just be hunkering down below other things. So Mary lives in Chesterfield. Mary, how are you today? Hello. Hi. Is this Chesterfield? I mean, the radio station? As far as I know. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize I was on. I thought I was cut off. I have a comment about fallopia okay. weed. I've grown it for about eight years. Really? Or ten years. I bought three plants. What I, I had researched and I had read where it was really invasive right. up in New Jersey. Now, I don't know about here, but um, what I did was I bought them in a big, I put them in a big uh, quart container, mm-hmm. cut, and I cut the bottom out of it. And I've been disappointed that they haven't been invasive because the variegation in the shade is just great. Right. It is spectacular. So, I have to agree. Yeah. So anyway, that's just my comment. Well, that's that's great, but I'm surprised that it hasn't moved out. Now, did you is a pot sitting on top of the ground, or did you sink it a little bit into no, the ground? Oh no, it sunk all the way in the ground. Really, and it hasn't come out around that because that's right. Yes, I, mm-hmm. that's surprising because when you read about that plant, I mean, Great Britain, they're scared to death of it, and other places they are as well. So, um, you know, and uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that just shows how poor my soil is. I think it is, it is under it is under a poplar tree, and you know they take a lot of moisture. Right, and they do so. compete for sure for any yeah. kind of you know nutrients as well as moisture and everything else. So that's certainly yeah. something that you know, consider. Yeah. Well, um, thank you, and you have a good day, and I always enjoy listening. Thanks. Well, thank you, and thanks for thanks for having me on your show. And for everybody else, too, I mean, there's certain things that can be very invasive and aggressive. And, you know, I mean, through the years, I've mentioned certain things that I've used that are really considered invasive. Like when I had a home in Webster, I, you know, Creek ran through our yard, actually separated the yard of our neighbors and ours. And there was all kinds of shrub honeysuckle growing on here. And I just, the shrub honeysuckle, this was about 30 plus, 35 years ago or so. And so I slowly but surely started taking the shrub honeysuckle out, digging it, getting rid of it entirely. But I did not want to have erosion. And the only thing I could figure out at that time that I could stabilize the bank with was this winter creeper euonymus, which is, it's an evergreen. It anchors the soil very well, but it is invasive. So there was already some growing in the back end of our property, so I was digging up some from there and bringing it. But uh, you know, we have to be cautious about what we, you know, what we plant and where it's going to go and everything else because sometimes things happen and all of a sudden we go, oh, my goodness gracious, this has gotten way out of control before I even realized it. Now, again, you know, with this euonymus <laughs> winter creeper, there was some that actually, I guess, broke off from a neighbor down the alleyway and blew up 
to our end of the alley. And I stuck it in the ground. There was like three pieces about six or eight inches long. And now I'm growing it. Now it's to the point where I can see how fast it is you know, growing from these little three stems that I put in. So probably this spring I'm going to go ahead and just dig it up and get rid of it. But uh, I just, you know, just, I like to play around with the plant material. So when somebody does call in or has a question about something, then, I, you know, personal experience, I think it's great. When you read something, you know, that's wonderful as well. Information is information. But personal experience really kind of teaches, you know, a whole lot. So I wanted to just watch this Euonymus. It's like for, uh, probably... Three to four years old. I don't know exactly when I stuck this, you know, the cuttings into the ground. But, uh, you know, there's probably like maybe 40 stems coming up from the original three. Now, they did get winter burn, the tips of them, when we had that cold spell early in January. But uh, the rest of it, they seem fine. So just watch out for that. Other things that you need to be watching for in your own landscape, too, is any kind of leaf debris that's building up because. It is really, you know, when we're having the rains that we have, you can really create a circumstance where there's a lot of moisture right below where those leaves are. The leaves, the top surface of the leaves may look dry, but down there on the ground, whether it's on your lawn or on your perennials or on any other areas, could be more moist than what you anticipate or what you want. So just be cautious of that. And I know it's a lot of work to take care of that kind of stuff, but just stay on top of it. If you don't, it's just going to be really trouble. If you do have interest in other things, too, uh, you can give us a call at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I keep hammering on the idea of the soil testing, and until you get a soil test done, you really don't know what is going on in your ground, what's causing some of the problems maybe related to the soil chemistry whether it's a phosphorus or potassium, whether it's a nitrogen, whether it's a pH, or all kinds of things. So for, you know, let's say any place between, let's say, 25 and 50 bucks, I don't know exactly how much the soil tests are, but that could really solve some problems and get you on the right track as opposed to just guessing and continuing to do the same thing over and over and over again because over and over and over again is exactly what you probably do not want to be doing because it cause, could cause you problems you know, from that standpoint, there's private, you know, places that do the soil testing. There's a couple over in Illinois and there's the University of Missouri does them. So you can take, you don't know how, what to do with a soil sample, how to take a soil sample or what to do with it once you get it taken. Well, just go online and get the information right there. It'll tell you exactly how to take it, how much soil you need, where to take it from and all those kind of factors. Then find out what's going on in your outdoors. That's going to be the best thing you could possibly do for your landscape. And if you're going to, let's say, have a vegetable garden separate from a lawn area, separate from a perennial bed, separate from a milkweed farm or whatever you're doing, get a soil test for each one of those areas. Yes, it's going to be additional cost, but sometimes those little subtleties can make the big difference on how well the things are going to do. Let's go now to Sherry, and Sherry's in South County. Hi, Sherry. Sherry, are you there? I am. Okay, great. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. So I have a question about the sweet gumballs okay. in the yard. Um, I did buy some of the Florel. I believe that's what you had recommended to right. spray the tree. Okay. What type of application do I have to do with that? I'm not really understanding... Um, how much I need to put into the sprayer. 
uh, j- the label should tell you exactly how much. I don't know exactly what the you know what your sprayer is or anything else, but you basically you got to spray it when the sweet gums are going into flower. So you're going to have to watch the tips of some of the you know the tips of the twigs, and right when they start flowering, that's when the florel has to be sprayed. Now the label on the you know on the florel should tell you. You know, X amount of cups per five gallons or whatever it happens to be. I don't know exactly what it is. Okay. Okay. So, and so we'll, for, for anything, too, you should, everyone should always read the label before you make any application whatsoever. So, is that an annual application that yeah. I need to do? Yes. Okay. So, it was okay. developed in Southern California, you know, and it worked, you know, to control olives on olive trees, which they use for street trees out there. And it's got to be done every year. Okay, because it didn't seem to be this bad. And in the last couple of years, they're just terrible. Right. I think, you know, some of that is related to the weather, too. So, I mean, that doesn't mean the floral won't work. It's just weather-wise, we have the sugar maples around, you know, we're on that corner. And it seems like the sugar maples the last couple of years have produced more seeds than ever, ever before. And we've been in this home like 10 years. It's just driving me crazy. I, I know. And, and the oak galls. Is right. there any way to stop those? Uh, basically, that's an insect that's completely separate from, you know, any kind of, let's say, herbicide-related you know, herbicide type thing. So you have to get an insecticide. There's some, you know, injections. But, for the, you know, for the most part, there's not too much you can really do. It's a small wasp. The female lays eggs on the twigs. And then when those eggs hatch, they bore into the twig. And that's what causes that blow to grow. So it's kind of a protection-type thing. Just like the eastern tent caterpillars in the springtime, they have that you know that webbing around them, and that keeps the birds from getting at them. So it's a protection factor for those particular you know wasps that are causing the the oak right. gall. So they're not going there because there's a nutrient deficiency in the tree. No, not at all. It has nothing to do okay. with that whatsoever. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yep. And Rick and Florison, if you could do it really quickly, or if you'd like to wait until next hour. Oh, you bet. Um, I just simply am looking to uh, to see what you'd recommend as far as a vine that would grow over concrete near a creek bed. That would grow over concrete? Uh-huh. That I could actually plant at the top of the concrete that it would grow down towards the water. Okay. Um, I'm wanting to cover up some really ugly concrete. Sir. Okay. So is this sun or shade? Uh, a lot of sun. Okay. Full sun. I would probably look at some of the ivies, like the... Boston ivy, one of the, uh, Boston ivy's deciduous, but uh, that's probably what I do. Maybe English ivy. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after the news. The voice of St. Louis. News Radio 1120, KMOX. KMOX HD, St. Louis. 102.5 KEZK. HD3, St. Louis. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.